For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. Hello. So the scripture today is from Philippians 2, 1 through 13. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the, uh, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The word of the Lord. All right, good morning. My name is Aaron Freer. I'm on staff as a church planter in residence, which is really, I think, just a fancy way of saying I'm attempting to trust God's timing and provision in all things future-related, so it's a really easy job. Uh, I feel like I live in the beauty of this paradox, like this tension of fear and life every day. Uh, and I wanted to share with you, my, my wife just sat down, Kate, and she brought the kids this morning, and I came early and I thought this was a, f- a fun way to start, but uh, our five-year-old on the way over declared, <laughs> declared that he was God. Um, and what had happened was that he was in the back seat, and they were snacking on some toaster strudels, and one was broken half, and he put it back together, and it stayed that way. So he's like, Mom, you got to look. And she's like, No, I can't. I'm driving. Uh, but he's like, I'm God. I put the toaster strudel back together and it didn't come back apart. So uh, we have to have a talk later about like, we want him to pursue that creativity, but maybe not like, I'm God. So um, add that to the church planting bucket list. Um, but you've come to Genesis on a Sunday that we've affectionately termed or renamed Marathon Sunday. Each year in our Genesis history so far, There have been a group of brave souls running for clean water, enduring 26.2 miles of pavement uh, as their legs, their lungs, and their hearts keep sending them forward when their minds say, please stop. One year ago, I was up at 5 a.m. getting my body and mind ready for my very first running race, the Twin Cities Marathon. So I was full of excitement and nerves and fear and joy. It was pulsing through my body. And around this time, it is now 10.02 Uh, I think I crossed the start line around 8 a.m., so I was uh, approaching the halfway point, right, as we speak this time last year. Um, I had seen my family and my kids at mile five cheering me on. Mile nine was my first shirt change. 
uh, that my mom and sister were waiting for me with. I had planned that out. Uh, and I was about to cross over the threshold of halfway there, all right? Halfway there. I was feeling really good. I'd found a rhythm for my legs and my lungs. I smiled at, as people cheered. Um, at one point, I even had so much energy that like, I locked eyes with this guy who was part of a house that they were playing like ABBA or something like that. And I like, locked eyes with him and I'm like dancing towards him while I'm running. Uh, later in the marathon, I was like, why did I do that? That was so much wasted energy. So dumb. Um, <laughs> But it seemed like a really great, it seemed like a great idea in the moment. Because I was like, we connected. We're like, Abba, let, let's just dance with each other. Um, and I changed shirts again at mile 18. Uh, my sister had a sign up that said, have no freer. Uh, I thought that was awesome. I still felt really strong. Uh, I had 8.2 to go. I got this. I crossed over the river into St. Paul. I hit mile 21. Still strong, 5.2 to go, and then my feet touched Summit Avenue. The absolute curse of Summit Avenue is steady, never-relenting incline where every step was a challenge. I wanted out. I was spent. I was done. This was too hard. And the only way I can explain why I kept going is because my heart sent messages to my head every other minute that said, this is worth it. Somehow, there's life on the other side of this. Somehow there's joy in completing this good work. So this morning, we heard from Paul's second letter to the church of Philippi. And so at the, the conclusion of chapter 1, if you're familiar with some of his letters, he's expressing encouragement to be of one mind, one spirit, striving together. Face down your adversaries, be brave in facing your challenges. So all these external things that we can rise up against and be brave in the midst of. And then he ends with this line of, well, the invitation isn't only to believe, but it's also to suffer. And then the letter ends. And so I was thinking about this week, I was like, well, I don't know if Paul sent all these letters together in like one long scroll, or if they came in chunks, like nice little chapters like we have in the Bible. But I want to imagine this morning that Paul really cared about the details and like he had a little bit of an ego. So he's like, I'm only going to send one at a time. Okay. So imagine that we as Genesis are the church of Philippi. We've received chapter one and we gather together on a Sunday morning or maybe it was a Saturday. Who knows what day it was. And we read it out loud and we're going through chapter one. And we're like, this is great. I'm really inspired by this. And then Paul ends it. And he says, well, yeah, actually, it's not just about believing. It's actually about entering the mess. It's about entering suffering, the end. And like the reader, whoever the reader is, is like, there's no more. <laughs> and so imagine if I was the reader and you, the church listening, you're silent. And we've just heard that last line. It's not all about just believing. It's actually about entering the mess and suffering together. How, here's an all-play question, something we do at Genesis where we get you involved, hearing your voice. But if that's the case, and we've just heard that last line of chapter one, and now we're sitting there together, um, how are you feeling in the space at the end of chapter one? Confused? Fearful? A little let down. Those are great. Confused, fearful, a little let down. Are we looking forward to chapter two? 
Yes? No? I'm not. Um, so sometimes goes by, we're all feeling a little un- uneasy. We're like, is he going to send another letter? Was that it? Um, did he die in prison? What's going on? And maybe we're secretly, or maybe not so secretly, hoping Paul has nothing left to say to us. To leave us on that cliffhanger of, well, it's actually about entering the mess. It's about suffering. It's about finding our place in that. Maybe we're hoping he doesn't have anything left to say. Not because we don't have like a deep hunger for community or hope for community, but because it sounds really, really challenging. So what he's about to invite us into in chapter 2 has been predicated and built upon this cliffhanger of an ending of like, it's not just about what you believe is right. It's about actually using your life to participate in a way that sometimes makes no sense at all. And so we join this first part of chapter 2. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look to, not to your own interests, but the interests of others. The, the translation that I was tempted to go with this morning, which I think speaks some of our more modern language to kind of get the, the weight of what Paul is talking about, is from the message, Eugene Peterson. And so check this out. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, (laughs) if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. And I was like, all right, uh, we're going to dive right in this morning. And so if we, <laughs> if we sat down and we were the Church of Philippi and I unrolled that scroll and that was the language, I was like, at some point I would just kind of neatly roll it back up and be like, go back to your families. Nothing to see here, nothing to do. Because Paul, is, Paul cares so much that he's challenging the actual narrative or the paradigm that we live in. He's asking us to look outside of getting ahead, outside of ourselves. And so this morning, um, I think most of us have read the Bible as something we try to force on ourselves. What I mean by that is we read the start of, of Philippians 2 and we say, all right, we're going to do it. I'm going to try really, really, really hard to be humble, okay? I'm going to be selfless. Yes, I am. I'm, I have none of my own interests, none. Everyone is better than me. Did I mention I'm humble, okay? Now I'm humble and selfless, so we are good to go, okay? I'm not angry about it, not angry about it at all. I'm humble. And so we think, we read the Bible as something like we're just pressing it onto ourselves, like we've got to force fit this costume, which I don't even have this in my notes, but I remember this story from college. Um, I went to a Halloween party as Hansel and Gretel. I was Gretel. There was a really big like candy prize for the best costume. My my roommate in college was a a 330-pound offensive lineman at Bethel. 
Uh, I was a tennis player, so we were like, you know, pair match made in heaven. And we said, we got to win that big bag of candy. It was like 50 pounds of candy. That's, you know, money you don't have to spend as a college student. Um, and food, yeah, it's like a whole, it's a multiple meals. So we went to Goodwill, and we started looking around. And all of a sudden, he's like, well, I found this, like, I don't know, it's like a teenager, like, junior, like, 10 to 12-year-old girl, Snow White costume. Think you could fit into it? And I said, probably. Let's figure it out. Uh, we found a wig. Uh, he found some ridiculous costume that somehow we thought was Hansel. And so we paraded to this party with other 20-something-year-olds. And we walked through the door, and people were like, <laughs> wow, uh, welcome to the party. Uh, who are you? We just said, well, don't you know we're Hansel and Gretel? And we're like leaving breadcrumbs behind us and making sure we can find our way out. Uh, and sometimes, and to tell you, like, I needed help getting off that costume uh, when the night was over. And that's what I think we do sometimes with the Bible. Come on, it's... <laughs> okay? We, fo we force fit that stuff into our life so forcefully, so carelessly, that by the end we don't know who we are anymore, and we're angry about it because it doesn't feel right, uh, and we just think, well, that's the way it is. I just need to suck it up, and I'm going to try really, really hard to do all these things Paul has said. And so the all play is, when we force something on, how does it usually turn out for us? Ugly, Ugly uncomfortable. Are you talking about my costume? <laughs> what else? When we force things on in our life, what else, how does that feel? What's that? Claustrophobic. Unnatural. Yes. We lose who we are because our, our perception is altered that much. So if things don't work well when we force things on, here's the alternative. To begin reading the Bible as an ongoing invitation. To see this great divine mystery of how it is we are to be with each other and to participate in the world as just a seed or some yeast that if it takes root in you and your life, it grows and changes over time. It emerges from the confines of your heart as you shed your ego, as you begin to see a new way forward. And so the invitation is into a new narrative, a new paradigm, a new way of thinking, of being, of seeing, of encountering each other. And if we want to pursue this invitation that's laid out in Philippians 2, we first have to ask, well, where are we? So Paul's inviting us into a new picture of what it means to be together, to be us. But where are we really as we consider this invitation? I want to propose that perhaps we are standing at mile 21 of a marathon together. We've just crossed over into St. Paul. And for the most part, our whole life, we've felt pretty strong and courageous. We've believed a lot of the right things. Uh, we've longed for something more. Some of us have experienced deep joy in community, and many of us have been deeply wounded by community. We have found our people, and we have not found our people. We've lived with vulnerability, and we've chosen to also remain hidden and obscure. We've welcomed in others, and we've also closed our doors on others. 
We've hoped for a new way to be together, a new possibility to know and be known. And if I'm convinced of anything, it's this, that when we feel seen and known in community, that is the driving force to our compassionate engagement in a world full of hurt and loneliness. When we feel seen and known in community, that is the driving force to our compassionate engagement in a world full of hurt and loneliness. And so that's also true in a marathon. Because if we, Genesis, our feet are just now touching down on Summit Avenue, and everything in our brain and in our life says, stop, don't keep going, this is too hard, this is too uphill, we even have like these expectations that, well, I've been a Christian this long, or I've been a part of community before, when are we going to start coasting downhill? When's it going to get a little bit easier? And so we're at that mile 21. Everything says stop. It's uncharted territory. When I ran the marathon last year, my longest training run was 20 miles. I had now just crossed into the unknown, unsure if my body and my mind and my heart could or would keep going. But I had to remind myself over and over again, there's life on the other side. And in some ways, that was tangible life by kids receiving clean water. In other ways, it was life for me, life for my heart, to know that I could push through the unknown and the fear to places that I'd never been before and come out with a joy and a peace that I'd never known. And so Paul pours out his heart somewhat forcefully to us, but because he cares about this message. He says, if you've received these things from Christ, if you know these things are true, then you have a responsibility to live this way. He's asking these crazy rhetorical questions like, if there's any consolation in Christ, well, Jesus was called the consolation of Israel in Luke 2. He says, be evidence of that consolation by loving each other. If there's any comfort in love, of course there's comfort in love. If you've found that comfort, if you want to find it, if you're searching for it, then start with covering yourself in it. I thought of the, anyone seen the movie Patch Adams? So like, a, this is like, we're going old school this morning. Um, Patch Adams with Robin Williams, he's a doctor and he wants to bring care and encountering the humanness of others in a different way to the field of medicine. So he has this patient um, who's probably 70s, 80s. And he's, he's like, what is your hope? Like, what's, what's on your bucket list? What do you want to do? She's like, well, this sounds really, really silly, but I've always just wanted to swim in a swimming pool full of spaghetti. And he doesn't laugh at her. He doesn't dismiss it. He makes it happen. And so if we've received the comfort of God's love and mercy... When's the last time you just jumped in and swam in it? Because it's from that place of you being covered in it that the world begins to experience it through your life. When is the last time you were covered in it? And it's interesting to note 
the word comfort in this passage is the Greek word periklesis. And so it's not this, it's not just an idea of, oh, I'm, I feel soothed and safe in this comfort of love. It's actually like strengthening, helping, making strong. So this idea, love of God in our lives and among us as a community makes us strong, gives us the ability to keep going when we want to give up, gives us the endurance to pursue worthwhile things, things that are on the other side of Summit Avenue. He also says, if there's any unity in the Spirit, if any compassion and mercy on God's behalf towards us, if there's anything to be found of that nature, then you make it so. Like, let's not sit around waiting for these huge revelations to kind of drop out of the sky, but actually, well then, make it so. Make it so. Make it so that mercy will not run out for your neighbor. Make it so that your, your sons and your daughters and your parents and your grandparents know that mercy never expires. That it can't be withheld, that it can't be retracted, that it can't be taken back. Paul is essentially saying, if water is wet, if fire is hot, if rocks are hard, then do these things. Please, this is the way to life. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Essentially, Genesis, let's move up the hill together. Let's not leave anyone behind. Christ made it so all of you belong, all of you. So you're going to love the ones you love well, and you're going to love the ones that annoy you well. You're going to love them with the same love. This is the way forward. So live in such a way that you're actually contending for people's trust of the message. So in a world that distrusts the way of Jesus, or labels it as hypocrisy or false, it's not because it's those things, it's because we've, we've, kind, of, we've kind of made it that way. And that sucks. But that's okay to admit. It's okay to say, I haven't done everything I can do to live in such a way that would, would contend for people's trust of this message. That they could enter this space on a Sunday morning, be seen, known, accepted, no, no judgments, no preconceived things, no, no little list to meet, but that we'd actually take an interest in their narrative. How did you get here? What's brought you to this point? What hurts do you have? What praises do you have? And so we're entering the space of regarding others as better than ourselves, humility. So in our culture, and even back in the Greek culture of this time, how does it feel to be humble? That's an all play. How does it feel to be humble? Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. So there's... <laughs> and I think part of, part of what Paul is getting at then is, why is this hidden? Like you said, am I the only one who knows? 
And so we're going to talk about in a minute of how do we go from knowing it to participating in it. So another way to phrase like, in humility regard others as better than yourself. A phrase would be, in lowliness of mind, esteem others as better than yourself. Lowliness of mind. So Greek culture considered lowliness of mind to be like a defect, a fault, um, almost like cursed. Like if you're lowly of mind, like you're just, you don't have it together. Um, and so I wonder, like thinking about the parallels to our culture, of if you exude humility and compassion, if you wander the streets of your nation with a bullhorn looking for people, you're a bad person. Because you're not using all your advantages to just take care of you. So the invitation to think of others as better than ourselves, is it's not, it's not an invitation to self-pity or a self-deprecating mode. It's rather the invitation to live with the essence that we have a genuine concern for others and their needs. It's an outward mentality that will characterize the people of God. And so think about this for a second. If we have a community, if we can create a community at Genesis where I think of you as better than me and you think of me as better than you and that's reciprocated in every encounter, we now have a community where everyone is looked up to and no one is looked down upon. Everyone is looked up to, no one is looked down upon. So Paul is asking and wondering if we, Genesis Church, will enter the paradoxical equation that seeking and grasping and clinging to our life will result in a loss. And that losing our life and letting go and taking a posture that's more humble will actually result in us finding our life. But we wish he wouldn't have wrote that letter. But God demonstrates his love for us in that God stoops. Grace always stoops to the point of being extravagant. Theologian Spurgeon writes, Blessed be his name, he stoops and stoops and stoops. And when he reaches us and becomes man, he still stoops and stoops and stoops, lower and deeper yet. So what does it look like for us, or what would it look like for us to stoop in the context of community? I realize that's a pretty abstract thing. Sometimes we need some time to sit through and process what that would actually look like. Maybe that's one of those questions you just take home with you in the car. What does it look like for us to stoop in community? The other thing I was thinking about, I had this experience a few years ago in Denver. Uh, well, it's multiple years ago now, but I was leading a group of high school students on a mission trip. And we were supposed to, or asked to, encounter uh, the large homeless pop population in Denver in the city parks. And we were kind of wrapping up our time of passing out lunches and doing the best we could with high school students and some of that anxiety and fear of like encountering people and their stories. And I remember as we gathered all the kids on the bus and ready to go back to kind of debrief the day, there was a, an old man sitting on a bench. Um, and part of my narrative for you to understand is that I grew up considering my grandparents some of my best friends. 
<laughs> so, I, I can't even see like someone sitting alone at a Perkins. without wondering their narrative, their story, saying, what could we find in common? So I was like, all right, kids, just wait here with the other leaders, go onto the park bench. I've got to go encounter this guy. And we didn't talk about much, shared our names and maybe a little bit of how we got there. And it felt like my, my rear was just glued to that seat where I just didn't want to leave. And it wasn't because there was some magic formula. It was just that I encountered someone. And when I got back to the front of the bus... And the, like, the youth works, workers are like, come on, we got to go, we got to go. I felt paralyzed. And in hindsight, it's not a bad thing. It just meant that I couldn't unsee what I saw. It just meant that I couldn't untaste what I tasted. It, it meant that I found life when I stooped. It meant that God's divine work and divine mystery is in our lowness, in our lena, in our leastness. And so this morning, we talk about these big ideas, but Paul also says you need to work out your salvation. Not earn it, but respond to it, participate in it. And he also uses the words with fear and trembling in some texts. And at first, that can bring up all sorts of problems with, am I supposed to be afraid of God? Is God like the bad guy out to get me? The way that I look at it is that God wants to invite you into spaces that are really uncomfortable. And none of us care for that that much. But the upside down invitation, the paradigm shift, the new way of seeing is to say, this is where life is. When you get off your perch, and you look someone in the eye and you just ask them, who are you and how did you get here? But there'll be all sorts of resistance along the way. I was reading someone this week who was talking about in our Christian upbringing, if that's some of our story, or the narrative we've participated in, death has always been the threat and resurrection has always been the victory. And yet this person brought up the idea of, well, there's this book out. It's called Threatened by the Resurrection. And I was like, oh boy, that sounds like a doozy. <laughs> and what he meant is that there's millions of us clinging to all sorts of forms of death in our lives. And that we're the same ones who are resisting resurrection because of what it asks of us. We're clinging to death and resisting 
resurrection because we're at mile 21 and we don't know if we can make it up the hill. And so do you see all that's happening in our community and in our world? And can you make the shift to say the kingdom is here and now? Can you switch the paradigm and climb down the ladder and find life? The invitation to transformation comes in more subtly than we'd like and often requires more participation than we're comfortable with. The invitation to transformation comes in more subtly than we'd like and often requires more participation than we're comfortable with. And so here we are, headed towards beauty and life, connection and new possibilities. Not just for the world out there, but for us in here so that the world can be blessed by us. I think if our only steps as Christians are towards the world, they're misguided when we take them to avoid the work between us first. Okay, so the work out there is so important. It's a huge part of the message of participation. But if we're only taking steps towards the world because we want to avoid the work in us and the work between you and me as a community, then they're misguided. Because it starts right here. It starts with me knowing your story, you knowing mine, and finding life. (laughs) 